Hello, everybody. We're recording this in Jubilee Week, and it is John and me today. Morning, John. Morning, all. So I think the interesting thing would be to have an update on the Ukraine and where we stand at this moment in time. I've been a sort of amateur student of Russian history. I think uh, Putin's had to regroup to he'll, he'll try and take the Donbass. He'll throw everything at those two provinces, which will then give him some some kind of Pyrrhic victory. And to be able to go back to the Russian people and say that their objective has been secured, it also gives them the opportunity to say that the attacks on Kiev and other places were, uh, they were just diversionary. So I think they'll throw everything at those two provinces. Uh, They will, in typical Russian style, they will level them, just like they did to, um, to, to Grozny and Chechnya. They'll level them. There'll be no people living there because just about everybody will have left. And their idea will be to push the border westwards. and They'll then repopulate with Russians and rebuild it. That will be his plan. Uh, so I think we're in for another uh, really long haul, a frozen conflict, really, in some ways, whereas the original attempt to take Ukraine was, um, I mean, to- totally impractical. But th- th- this is going to grind on now. So the implications, obviously, for grain prices, fertilizer prices, energy prices are all still there. Yeah. So this, last night, the EU agreed further sanctions on energy from Russia. And I see that uh, the crude oil price is up to $123 a barrel. Pound is a little weaker at the moment, which obviously isn't going to help us. And that's inflationary in itself. Um, So there are potentially further problems ahead. As we've said for quite some time now, the inflationary ingredients were baked into the cake a long time ago. It was just a question of when they showed themselves. And they have really been showing themselves for quite some time, certainly the last year, you could see where it was all going. You could see where oil prices were going. And uh, when you hear the the governor of the Bank of England, then in a very weaselly type way, try and blame Ukraine for everything that's going on, it says more about him, I think, than it does about the facts. The facts are that the inflationary cap was out of the bag a long, long time ago. And the Ukraine is merely uh, an aggravating factor. Yeah, it's interesting this morning, the European inflation figures aren't looking good. And it will be interesting to see what happens when uh, the European Central Bank meets, POE and the Fed meet um, as to what they do with interest rate. What are your thoughts, John? Well, I think they're all incompetent. And you can see you can see how incompetent they truly are, because they've all been targeting 2% inflation, and they're now staring at double-digit inflation. They've all told us over the last year it would go up to 3%, 4%, 5%, but it won't go there for very long, and then it'll drop back. They haven't just been wrong. They've been entirely wrong. But that's because Mm. they don't understand economies. Nearly all these central banks are staffed by academics, and they think they can turn dials and pull, pull levers and push buttons and the economy will do what they want it to do. Uh, and I think you can see that we've had, what, a dozen years of more now of unorthodox monetary policies, and you can now see how misguided they were. And um, you know, the, the chickens really have come home to roost. So they will try and, they'll try and talk inflation down. They'll try and jawbone it down by saying they stand there ready to put interest rates up. But in my opinion, they will bottle that decision. They will not put interest rates up anywhere near enough to to slay the inflation because that will lead to deep, deep recessions 
And these kind of people do not want that on their watch. So I think they're just going to let inflation rip. They'll say one thing, but the truth of the matter is that's where it's going. The fact that oil prices are strengthening, yes, it, it is part of it. The last, the last bit of it is due to what's going on in Ukraine. But the world will not be able to transition, you know, decarbonisation and all the rest of it on the, on the timescale that um, these kind of people have decided is feasible. So the whole living standards of the Western world are based on fossil fuels. So you can either accept that or you can... Uh, pretend that it doesn't exist and end up with oil prices going going through the roof. It is my belief and has been my belief, uh, and we've talked about it here many times, that oil prices are you know, semi-permanently high now. You won't see oil going yeah. down. There's, there's no incentive yeah. for big oil to go out and find more supplies. And yet you've got the world demand for oil rising, especially in Asia. You're going to have restricted supply. Only the kind of economists that you'll find on central bank monetary policy committees won't understand what that means for supply and demand curves. But all you need to know is that oil prices, in my view, are going to be staying high. I think that the standard of living in the Western world has been massively helped over the last 30 or 40 years by ever cheaper energy and the internet, which has brought all sorts of efficiencies, a bit like the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, I think in general, the internet is a deflationary mechanism. But actually, if you print money left, right and centre and don't realise that it's temporary, it's going to complicate the inflation side of matters. And and that's where we've got to now. And of course, sod's law being sod's law, you end up then at that juncture. And then along comes the Ukraine situation, which is exactly what you didn't want. But um, these things tend to come along at the worst time. And and that's what they have done. So, so economically, there's not a lot that's good out there. But again, as we've said before, there are, from an investment perspective, there are ways around this or through it. And I think the way that uh, you know, we've invested capital proves that. All we want are businesses that we believe are economically proven. And you look at some of the businesses that we own, and they're into their third century. They've proven themselves on a global basis in terms of where they operate, in terms of the returns that they deliver. And it is our belief that businesses as good as that will be able to pass on the inflation that is now everywhere. It may have been a surprise to um, uh, central bank governors, but you know it has been a surprise to us. And it's going to be very important to be able to pass that inflation on. And the kind of businesses that we are invested in are the kind of businesses that can do that. Yeah. And they've done it before in the past when we've had high inflation. Well, ex- exactly. It's, it's, it's not unproven. It's a very difficult conundrum now for people with money to invest. There's no easy solution. And I think that the best way forward for people is through quality equity investments. But it's going to be a choppy ride. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I was reading this week that emerging market debt is down 15% over the last year. You add 10% inflation to that, you've, you've lost a significant amount of your real purchasing power. It is very, very difficult to know where to invest. I think the days of sort of having a portfolio which just steadily rises through multi-asset investments, I think is, is long gone. I think some of these investments, which historically have been regarded as low risk investments, you could almost argue are high risk investments. And therefore, the companies you're talking about, John, like Nestle, they've paid a dividend for 150 years now. It would be unfortunate if on your 
owning of them that something went drastically wrong and people stopped eating Kit Kats and drinking Nescafe. Businesses like that are proven. How many cycles have they been through? How many wars have they been through? They have such economic advantages in the territories that they operate. So, you know, I'd rather throw my lot in with them than buying so-called safe investments such as bonds. I mean, this is why we, we've been very, very light on bonds. Yes, uh, we know that bonds, you will be repaid. The problem is governments can always, if we're talking about sovereign bonds, they can print the money up to, um, to pay you back. And nominally, you know, their obligations have, have been sorted. But uh, what's the real value of what they've paid you back in? The fact that an investment is safe in inverted commas, doesn't mean that you can't lose a lot of money on it, certainly in real terms. And as I say, that's why we've been very light on bonds, because we were concerned that the inflationary uh, situation was going to, well, they're going to lose control of it, and they have. And now they're desperately trying to, as I say, jawbone the markets down by saying, yes, we stand ready to increase interest rates in order to keep on top of inflation. But it's way, way too late for that. I remember Andrew Bailey saying it was a preemptive strike against inflation when they put rates up three or four months ago from 0.1% to a quarter of 1%. He needs to get a dictionary. Uh, The definition of preemptive is not what he did. So, John, just to um, finish off, what are your thoughts on the windfall tax on UK oil companies, which has been announced in the last few days? What, what you actually really need, unless you want oil just continuing to strengthen, you need greater supplies. Obviously, Europe was Russia's largest market. And so that is, if it hasn't totally closed down, it soon will do. The Russians will be left with a problem, which is who do you sell that oil to? Well, the obvious answer is China, but the Chinese are far more intelligent than the Russians are. They'll be demanding a discount and they'll be paying in Chinese currency. So it's going to be a bad situation for Russia, whatever. But what we actually need is more oil supply. And so if you want to stimulate more oil supply, so if you want an increased supply of something, it doesn't seem sensible to me to make it more expensive for those organisations to supply it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. There's no doubt about it. And of course, it gives other international oil companies like Repsol and Total Total Energies and Chevron uh, an advantage because they haven't got this additional tax to pay. This idea that oil companies are exploiting a situation, no oil company can make the oil price go up. If it did, I mean, if you went back 18 months ago, oil was $40 a (laughs) barrel. So all oil companies would love to be in that position, but they're not. It's a, commi- it's a commodity and it operates on supply and demand. I mean, the world needs the better part of 100 million barrels of oil a day. And it's hypersensitive. If there's half a million barrels short, the price goes up significantly and, and vice versa. But this idea that oil companies are just reaping such excess profits. I remember last year when, when our oil prices were considerably lower, I mean, BP lost money. Um, so here we are. Amounts. They've been fortuitous in, in, the, in the sense, or like oil, all oil companies have, that the oil price has risen. There's nothing they can do about it. And suddenly they're public enemy number one, and, and it's all about hitting them with a tax. It would be far more sensible to try to ensure that oil doesn't go to $190 a barrel by stimulating some more supply. But I get the sense that politics has just taken over and that that battle has been lost. But yeah, don't forget, it's only a couple of years ago, some oil companies were were losing money. 
Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Well, the price of oil was minus $37 a barrel. Do you remember when, for immediate supply, they were actually paying you to take it away? Yeah, so that's absolutely. how quickly things have, have yeah. changed. Yeah. And, that, and some of that is due to the fact that this kind of 100 million barrels of oil a day that is required, once it shifts in only tiny fractions, you end up with outsized price movements either side of that. As I've just said, I think it's far more important to ensure that oil in the longer term doesn't go up much beyond here and perhaps falls rather than trying to, for political reasons, cane the oil companies and actually put impediments uh, in their way to to actually stimulating more supply, because that's what we really need. And of course, the other thing which is happening is that these oil companies are developing greener energies as well. So you'd think that the tax could easily curtail the, the development of greener energies. So um, I, I hate to break it to anyone, but the truth of the matter is it's the oil and, and the hydrocarbons that will fund or the extraction of those hydrocarbons that will fund the wind power and the solar and everything else because that's just how it has to be. Again, we can either accept reality or we can, um, or we can go into some self-justifying bubble of nonsense that doesn't make any sense. But that is the truth. The truth is, if we want to take BP as the example, it's the extraction of hydrocarbons that gives them the capital to be able to invest in wind power. Right. Very good, John. And on that note, we shall finish. Right. We'll see you all later. This material shouldn't be considered as advice or an investment recommendation. You should consult an advisor regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority prior to making investment decisions. All investments carry a degree of risk. The value of any investment or income received from it can go up as well as down and you may not get back the amount invested. Information recorded within this podcast was accurate at the time of recording.